Welcome to the View from the Front podcast, a show about military and defense news designed for people who are serious about their love for this country and who love their country more than they love their political party. It's a show for moderates who are sick of their news being from the left or the right or being over the top and scary. I am the very opposite of most clickbait news and I fully understand how frustrated most Americans feel at how divided we are. I feel the same way. My name is Stan R. Mitchell, and I'm a prior infantry Marine who dropped the sword and picked up the pen. After joining the Marine Corps at the age of 17 to serve four years in the infantry, I exited military service, earned a degree, and spent 10 years as a journalist and newspaper publisher, learning about how our government truly works. After nine years of owning a weekly newspaper, I went on to become an author and have written 11 books to date. And now I'm here, a twice a week podcaster who's still in love with both this country and the news. And I see this podcast as a small way to continue serving our country, doing my best to inform and unite us in a time that we're as divided as we've probably been in a hundred years. It is an absolute fact that our democracy doesn't work if we don't have informed voters. And I'm convinced that foreign policy decisions are the most important decisions that we face as a country. It's crucial that we get our foreign policy decisions right and that we avoid our isolationist tendencies as a country. It's also crucial that when we get them wrong, such as when we did in the Vietnam War, then the faster we can course correct, the faster we can reduce how many lives we lose. I don't claim to have all the answers, but I do think much can be gained from discussing these issues and creating a community where we intelligently discuss the troubles confronting us, and where we work to come closer together and respect each other's views with more patience and kindness. A house divided cannot stand, and I strongly believe that more unites us than divides us. I will not remain silent while politicians seeking their own personal gain try to throw gas on a dangerous fire, doing their best to tear apart this country so that they can advance to a higher office. Our country has stood together for more than 240 years, and it's only together that we can pass on a better future for our kids. With that small opening out of the way, let's get to today's edition. This is the August 30th edition of The View from the Front, and we're really glad to have you here. Just a quick reminder, if you love what you're listening to, please consider subscribing. At a minimum, subscribe to the podcast through whatever channel you're listening to us on, whether it's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, Pocket Cast, etc. All of my podcasts are free, but if you really want to be a rock star and support what we're doing, you can sign up at my Substack for $5 a month. Not only will that help encourage and sustain what we're doing here, as well as make it better, but it will also get you the Tuesday post on Tuesday. The Tuesday posts are available to everyone, but they're delayed by one day unless you're a paid subscriber. So this is a small thing we do to encourage folks to support what they can. But if you don't do that, at most you're just waiting one additional day for the content. So thanks for those new subscribers. Thanks for those who have signed up to pay. I really appreciate that more than you can possibly know. Uh, and it kind of encourages me and shows me that I think what I'm doing is something that people want. So I really do appreciate that, guys. Um, so quite a few things to get to today. Let's just... Uh, Let's just start. And of course, we're starting with where we often start, which is the Russian invasion of Ukraine and the latest news that's happening there. One thing that um been in the news for a couple plus weeks now, but there's finally going to be some action on it. And that is, we've talked about that nuclear power plant in Ukraine. 
where there's fighting happening around it. As a reminder, it's occupied by Russians, but it's being operated by Ukrainian workers, some of whom are potentially almost being held as hostages. But I think most of those have local families in a, in a town nearby. They want to be there, but there are some restrictions on their movement. And at the same time, they kind of want to be there, but they're not being held in the best of situations. Having said all that, the um, there are finally going to be some international inspectors who are supposed to go to that nuclear plant. Uh, CNN is saying in the next few days. Uh, so that'll be good. We need some international inspectors there to see what damage has been done. There's been at least one instance when they lost power to the plant and they had to run on um, reserve power from diesel generators. That causes concern, especially since no one's really sure how much diesel's even there to help run those. No one wants any kind of accident. In the source notes for today's edition, I've uploaded quite a few images of the plant and it really it's worth going to look at these images it shows how big this plant is it also shows how the russians have armored personnel carriers hidden in several places around it which we've i've said the past few episodes that the russians were firing from it they're using from kind of like a safe place they can fire from stage material etc well there's now photographic proof from satellites that show it you'll also see on the source notes images that show that one of the buildings there at first people thought only one round had hit it but three rounds have gone through the roof of one of the buildings there that is obviously concerning and it's so concerning in fact that China who's been pretty supportive of Russia of this invasion they've rarely spoken out against Russia they've actually called for Russia to as well as Ukraine although it's not really Ukraine doing the firing but China has spoke out, one of their senior folks, saying that they want they want to avoid a serious nuclear accident that has, quote, irreversible consequences for the ecosystem and public health of Ukraine and its neighboring countries. Uh, the, the person who said that was Jin or Ging Shuang. I probably absolutely murdered that name, and I apologize if I did, but he's the uh, deputy permanent representative at the UN, and he called on both parties to quote, exercise maximum restraint, strictly abide by international law, and minimize the risk of accidents. And then he reminded folks that we don't want tragedies such as what happened at Chernobyl and uh, in Japan just a few years ago. So that's kind of interesting because, as I said, China has been very pro-Russia. They've said very little about this invasion. They've helped stop or helped block things uh, in the UN and other places. But even China's concerned um, good to see that they're finally saying, hey, Russia, why don't you stop your silly game? So hopefully we'll get some inspectors in there this week and um, there'll be some kind of a demilitarized zone around it. Not haven't heard much about that in the last week or so, but it would be nice if there wasn't fighting around a nuclear reactor. I think we can all agree to that. Moving along, I wanted to share a story from Paul McLeary and Christopher Miller that was in Politico. Just an incredible story. I've got it linked in the source notes. I'm just going to mention two or three parts from that story. It is absolutely worth the read. If you can go to the source notes, click the link. It's a pretty long article. And it talks about how uh, Ukraine has just absolutely decimated Russia's Black Sea fleet. Um, and I'm going to read two paragraphs from it. It's just so well done. When Putin launched his all-out invasion of Ukraine in February, the Crimea-based fleet was at the center of the action launching caliber cruise missiles at military and civilian targets deep into the country. 
blocking access to the country's ports, and threatening an amphibious landing on Odessa. Since those days, however, Kiev has seized the initiative as missile strikes and mysterious explosions have wreaked havoc on the Russian fleet, sinking several vessels, including its flagship cruiser, the Moskva, and devastating its Crimea-based air wing in a dramatic attack this month. As you remember, I've talked about that the past couple of weeks. Um, the the airport that was hit, at least seven, eight planes destroyed, and no one's really sure exactly how that happened. So it talks about that. I don't want to say too, too much more about it. Um, but it is interesting because, you know, as we all remember back in February, March, April, there was constant talk about an amphibious invasion. And the the article does say that not only what was already mentioned, the strikes on the Moskva and the strikes against the air wing that was supporting their Navy. But um, what also has happened is we've talked about how Ukraine lost Snake Island and then they managed to reclaim it. That was a big story a few months ago. I covered that in huge detail. But the article talks about that the fighting around Snake Island destroyed or damaged several smaller smaller landing and transport ships, which they had been using to help resupply it. They also took out uh, modern air defense and radar systems on the island, which helped end Russia's dominance of the sea and air and return to key piece of land to Kiev's control, as the article states. So I've got a, if you want to read and kind of get into the weeds on the naval operations, I almost said naval battles, but they're really, they're not big battles. There's just been various strikes, various maneuvers that have happened that have continued to weaken Russia's hold. But definitely a great article, worth going to read if you got a couple moments. So I've got that in the source notes, and I definitely wanted to share that with you guys because... Even myself, I'd kind of forgotten, you know, even we're talking strongly about a Russian blockade in the, with the wheat a couple of months ago and how it was keeping wheat and grain from being exported. You don't hear as much about that, partly because, as I've reported, the um, grain shipments are happening now. But I don't think it had ever hit me that maybe the Russian fleet is just not as strong as it had been initially, not as big a threat. So great story by them. Um, kudos to them and worth reading if you got a couple of moments. The next thing I wanted to share with you guys today is there was a great story in the Washington Post and the Ukrainians just constantly amaze me. I've talked about that hundreds of times with their ingenuity, with their their toughness, with their optimism. And we've talked so many times about HIMARS, those multiple launch rocket systems. And the Ukrainians not only got 16 of them from us, but they decided to take it a step further, and they created, and the Washington Post broke the story, but they have created decoy HIMARS multiple launch rocket systems, which are made of wood. And so, <laughs> I'll just, basically they've tricked the Russians into firing very expensive, limited uh, missiles at these things, and then... Um, I'll just read from the story. Washington Post story, again, it was very well done. And uh, it was reported by uh, John Hudson. Here's from the story. After a few weeks in the field, the decoys drew at least 10 caliber cruise missiles, an initial success that led Ukraine to expand the production of the replicas for broader use, said the senior Ukrainian official, who, like others, spoke on the condition of anonymity to discuss sensitive military matters. The use of rocket system decoys, which has not been reported previously, 
is one of many asymmetrical tactics Ukraine's armed forces have adopted to fight back against a bigger and better equipped invading enemy. In recent weeks, Kyiv's operatives have blown up rail and electricity lines in occupied Russian territory, detonated explosives inside Russian arms depots, and assassinated suspected collaborators. So I don't want to give too, too much about the art from the article away. It's good read. Um, but how amazing that the uh, Ukrainians are using wooden dummies. And it kind of explains, there's been a lot of, I don't want to say reporting, but the Russian information folks have been saying, hey, we're destroying these HIMARS multiple launch rocket systems. And they, you know, brag about it or put up video. But now it seems they weren't actually hitting <laughs> actual targets. Uh, there was even a U.S. Department of Defense person quoted in the story, and I've seen this a few other places, that say the Ukrainians have lost none of these. So there has been, for weeks on Twitter, all these arguments about, has Russia actually destroyed any of these, and the Ukraine Ukrainians are just lying and saying, hey, we've got them all, or what? Well, now the truth has come out, and the Russians are just hitting wooden, fake, high-mars, multiple-launch rocket systems, which, as someone who's pulling against Russia, just absolutely makes my day. The article does note... We've talked about how Russia's struggling to get in microchips and that these uh, precision-guided missiles use those. And with the export controls that, that are happening, the sanctions, Russia can't really get many microchips very easily. So they can't really replace these caliber missiles. And so kind of a big deal that they're wasting them, hitting wooden targets. And, you know, even from a psychological impact... Um, there's even a chance now, I was, after I read the story, I was just thinking on it, and I'm like, you know, if you're a drone operator and you see one, an actual high Mars multiple launch rocket system, and maybe you know it's real or whatnot, but it's, you've got to get approval, and there's going to be hesitation from the Russian, Russians on whether to even fire at them. Do you waste expensive, you know, missiles on a fake target? And maybe in this case, it's actually a live one, but, so it's kind of a, psychological warfare is real, and so... Anything the Ukrainians can do to get in their heads, that's a good thing for uh, those pulling for Ukraine. But great story, worth reading. Like I said, it's in the source notes. The next article wanted to talk about involving uh, Ukraine and Russia is Russia. We've talked about in previous episodes about how Russia had ordered drones from Iran, some UAVs, um, and these UAV drones are already starting to malfunction and not doing so well. And so I've got a link to the story. It's in the Washington Post. Uh, definitely worth checking out. But I also wanted to give a shout-out or a hat tip to a gentleman by the name of Eric K. I don't even know his last name, but he's just one of many uh, prior military or current military members who sends me tips and all. Uh, but I wanted to definitely acknowledge him. He served 22 years in the Army. And I'm honored that, um, you know, he follows me and sends me tips. And I definitely respect his service. I only made it four years on active duty and two years in the reserve. So anyone who can do 20 plus, huge, huge props to you. So, but thanks for sending that article, Eric. And like I said, no surprise to anyone who keeps up with any defense news. Russia buying UAVs from a country that, uh, you know, sounds like their weapon systems are about as good as the Russians, the Iranians, that is. So... Good story there, worth keeping an eye on. And while we're talking about um, UAVs and drones, I did put a link in as well to some small hand-launched drones. These things are like super small. They call them micro UAVs. 
and there are some that the Ukrainians are using that come from Norway. One of them is called the Black Hornet, and the thing is so small. It's almost worth looking at the image. A uh, huge, huge shout out to uh, Navy SEAL Lieutenant Chuck Fair, who put the graphic together to show the size. There's literally the size of your hand, and they move around pretty fast. And I was thinking, they're being used to move, you know, forward of the troops to see what's around buildings, and sometimes even enter buildings, and um, they're really good for urban battle space, as, as he said. But if you see how small these things are, it hit me, like, even if you saw one, and you're, you know, just a infantry guy like myself, I have no idea how you how you stop it. It's so small, and it moves and kind of darts. I don't, you can't hit it with a rifle. So, I, I mean, if you saw one of these things like flying around you, it has to feel, you have to feel just powerless because, uh, like I said, they're, you're not going to shoot one down. They're going to be moving. They're too small. They're about the size of a small bird and, and move around quickly. And so it's got to be just absolutely, it, it has to get in your head if you're a Russian and you see one of these things flying around. And then you've got to sit there and worry about, how fast will potential artillery rounds follow it? So I'm sure they're saving lives. I'm sure they're doing the job that in the past, like recon units or scout-type squads would do, maybe snipers. Um, but these things are certainly saving lives. I have no doubt of that. So great little link to it if you want to check that out. All right, so let's move from Ukraine to China. But before we get there, just a quick little tidbit about Iraq. Um, there's been fighting there. You may have heard a little bit on the news, although it's not really been very well covered, but there were almost like full-scale battles in, in Baghdad, which is the capital of Iraq. You may remember the name uh, Muqtada al-Sadr. He's, uh, man, he's got a decades-long history, and I didn't really get time to dig, dig into this story, but he's a Shia leader, kind of a religious leader over there. We've had a lot of history with him going all the way back to when we invaded Iraq the second time back in 2003-2004. But um, I didn't get into the details, like I said, but he resigned from being involved in politics. And so his fighters and supporters grabbed all their weapons and were going nuts in the capital, basically. It was getting pretty ugly for a while and even had some folks reach out to me and say, hey, do you think we'll abandon, basically leave our embassy, which some folks on Twitter thought might happen. I don't think that ended up happening, but essentially by the time I'm recording this, which right now it's about 1 o'clock on Tuesday, uh, he has asked his supporters to go home, and most of them seem to have done so. So his supporters were fighting some pro-Iran militias, and they were fighting for control of the green zone. I got a link to the story. By the time you hear this, the fighting has mostly ended, but the instability in Iraq and its government just continues to be out of control. I need to do a deep dive on that at some point, but um, yeah, I, I could go on about this forever. I almost just about started a huge rant, guys, going all the way back to the 90s, and um, but I didn't. I won't. I will in the future because it is important, but when we invaded Iraq, we should have known that most of the population is Shia and that Iran is Shia, and so what we did is we destabilized a country that at the time, was run by a small minority party of the Ba'ath Party under Saddam Hussein, who was a terrible person. But what we did, it was a counterbalance to Iran. The two countries had fought each other for eight years. And when we made the country, when we got rid of Saddam Hussein, and we basically made it a, a somewhat functioning democracy, what, a, what we did is we allowed a, the country to basically become Shia. And it allowed Iran to basically have an 
a country next door that it could be heavily involved in using money and militias. And so that's what they've done for the past few years. But there have been some signs that Iraqis increasingly don't want Iranian interference. But I need to do a deep dive on that at some point, and I think I will. But I don't have time today. So at any rate, looks like for the moment things are a little better there. And I just wanted to throw that in there because I like to try to keep you guys as well as formed as a, well informed as I can. Sorry for that slight diversion. I went into that a little more than I wanted to. But getting to China, which I had said was the whole point of where we were headed, two things I wanted to point out there. The U.S. has sailed warships through the Taiwan Strait again for the first time since the Nancy Pelosi visit. That was a pretty big deal. Um, article to that through NPR is at the website. And then there's also an article... Um, from Taylor Fravel about how the threats from China is causing Taiwan's Air Force to flex its muscles to scramble F-16 fighters more, and that essentially they are honing their skills while the threats from China are, you know, obviously a bit scary and intimidating. It's also really causing their their military to hone its skills and get more serious, and they were pretty serious to begin with, but there's a link to that article. Definitely worth a good couple of minutes if you've got it and i wanted to save some time for some tech news i haven't gotten much in lately and there was a story i definitely wanted to get to which is that the uh, air force is finally ready to just about mount a laser weapon on an ac-130 gunship i've got an article to that from task and purpose but uh pretty cool story that it goes back actually all the way back to 2017 was an article in National Defense that talked about it. And so the AC-130, for those who don't know, it's a prop plane. It's been used by Special Forces quite a bit. And what it does, it'll basically fly circles around a target at about 7,000 feet. It's got a 40-millimeter uh, cannon on it. It's got, which is basically like a grenade launcher. I shouldn't call it a cannon, really. It's got a 105-millimeter cannon, which is legit a it literally, it's a it's a piece of artillery that it fires from the side. And it's also got a 25mm Gatling gun. And what they'll do is, assuming there's air superiority in an area, they fly in, and special forces will often call them in. They'll fly at about 7,000 feet. They'll do circles around something. And they would just absolutely obliterate a target. And there's not much the uh, enemy can do about it. They've been used for years and years. They actually go all the way back to something called Spooky, which is the same thing, um, earlier version back in the Vietnam War. I believe that's when it began. So, long history, but they're now wanting to put a laser on it. And so I did some research on it, and the 2017 article from National Defense says, and I quote, without the slightest bang, whoosh, thump, explosion, or even aircraft engine hum, four key targets are permanently disabled. The enemy has no communications, no escape vehicle, no electrical power, and no retaliatory abilities. So, I say that because back then, that was their goal back in 2017 when they were really starting to work on this. The laser at that time was, they were trying to get up to about 150 kilowatts, okay? Unfortunately, these lasers are a lot more complicated to use than most things. They get, they basically get dispersed from what is called atmospherics, but basically the air, clouds, etc. And so they're nowhere near the 150 kilowatts, which they could use to, to destroy generators, vehicles, etc. But the one they're about to test is going to be about 60 kilowatts. I wanted to look this up because I was like, man, I didn't even think lasers were legal on humans. 
Well, what is actually the case is that it's illegal to use lasers to permanently blind people. That goes back to a 1995 protocol on, on, some, on blinding laser weapons. But it is legal to use lasers to kill the enemy. So you can't blind them, but you can kill them with a directed energy weapon or laser. So at any rate, interesting um, article. Definitely worth reading if you get a chance. I got the link there. And um, kind of crazy to think that we may have a gunship in the next year or so with a laser on the side of it. So that's kind of cool. And now it's time for probably the best part of any episode, which is the motivation and wisdom part. I always enjoy ending things as positively as possible. I always like to start with a bigger type story that kind of makes me feel good uh, if I can find one. And I did find one again for the, this episode. It involves a story out of California. And this is really cool. So California has funded a $20 million pilot project, which is kind of like a test run, so to speak, of something called Project Nexus. And what they're going to do is they are going to install solar panels over some of those really uh, deep, long irrigation uh, ditches and canals that are so common in California. And so the idea of this is that it would help block the water from uh, evaporating under the sun, which of course California is dealing with some drier conditions. So it will reduce the amount of water that evaporates while also creating energy. And the cool thing about this test project is they're not messing around. Uh, they want to have it completed in the fall uh, or started in the fall and completed by 2023. So that's next year. And then this is a smaller project, only 8,500 uh, feet of solar panels over three sections of part of the canals in central California. But if it were to work as they expect, and that, you know, obviously they wouldn't be spending the money unless they think it does. Solar isn't new technology. It's something we've had a while for quite a while, for decades actually. So this is something they actually think is going to work. But they plan to, at that point, their goal would be to cover 4,000 miles of public water canals and infrastructure with solar panels and if they did this, it would save uh, 63 billion gallons of water annually, which is obviously huge. And it would uh, generate 13 gigawatts of solar power, which is about one-sixth of the state's current capacity. So I've got a link to that story from uh, CBS News. Really cool story. And, you know, I've said this before, guys, that I don't care if you're a conservative and you're a big fan of conservation, or if you're someone on the far left and you're really concerned with global warming, to me, conservation, global warming, taking care of the earth, these are all things that we ought to all agree about and cheer on. So I thought that was a pretty good story and a great one to start out this uh, little segment. Moving to just some basic uh, motivation. As I always say, I'm just going to have a list of things. I'm just going to read them. You can follow all of these folks on Twitter, and you should if you're on Twitter. And um, let's just go from there. Here's the first one. The difficult problems in life always start off being simple. Great affairs always start off being small. So I thought that was a good one about the difficult problems, but it was really that second part that hit me. Great affairs always start off being small. So hey, whether you're putting out a twice-a-week podcast, such as, uh, hmm, I wonder who that applies to, or whatever you're trying to do in life, starts off small, we start building a little momentum, it's like a snowball. So, great affairs always start off being small. you got to be telling yourself that if you've started something and you're not quite happy with the results yet. Alright, let's continue. This is um, 
a, a tweet that I'm sharing that um, the guy's name is uh, Hiroshia Yasuda. And the tweet says, It is often said in Japan, a smart hawk hides its his claws. This means that a more capable person speaks less. And this implies that a more incapable person speaks more. So that's that one's a good one. Kind of deep. A smart hawk hides his claws. And more capable people speak less. Less capable people, they speak more. So I think we all know people in our lives who easily fit that one. Uh, I've got one from uh, Seneca, a Roman philosopher. It was shared by Alex uh, Plitzas. He's got always great stuff, but uh, the quote is, Luck is what happens when preparation meets opportunity. Luck is what happens when preparation meets opportunity. So, you need to be prepared so that if you get that shot, you can make something happen. Alright, next one. A calm mind makes a wiser decision. A calm mind makes a wiser decision. We always talk about controlling your emotions. It's pretty common. It's easy to say, it's hard to do, but control your emotions make wise decisions next one one small first step can change your life forever that's a good one next one set some goals stay quiet about them succeed in silence another good one next one if you want the fruit you must invest in the root don't focus on the outcome focus on the process that leads to great outcomes i think that one can kind of be summarized as just work on yourself keep working on you make whatever your product is or you stronger and that's going to make it more desirable and it's going to make you more successful so don't just look at the current results look at what you're doing to get to the results that you want next one keep grinding your day is coming next one this one's from sarah my teacher friend that i share things from from time to time and huge shout out to all the teachers out there Oh my goodness, do you have to have some patience to be a teacher. So I appreciate each and every teacher in the world for sure. Okay, this one is from Sarah. You are art. You are music. You are light. You are rare. You are needed. Pretty deep. I'll read it one more time. You are art. You are music. You are light. You are rare. You are needed. That's a good one. Alright, next one. You will face your greatest opposition when you are closest to your biggest miracle. That's a good one. Next one. Be cautious of the calmest person in the room. Some wisdom in that one for sure. Next one. Care about what other people think and you will always be their prisoner. Good one. Next one. We get what we focus on. Another good one. Next one. Keep going. Your hardest times often lead to the greatest moments of your life. Keep going. Tough situations build strong people in the end. That's another good one. Next one. When you speak, always speak with strong confidence. Watch the difference it makes. That was a great one. Next one. A goal should scare you a little and excite you a lot. That's really good. I know a lot of people, we all got friends who are in day jobs that you can just see it. It's just kind of like sucked the soul out of them. And they're just, they're living, but man, it's just they're just kind of barely surviving. I like that though. A goal should scare you a little and excite you a lot. We all have things that we should be chasing, don't we? All right. I always like to end with this one. Be the reason someone smiles. Be the reason someone feels loved and believes in the goodness of people. And with that, thanks for joining us this week on The View from the Front. 
As a reminder, The View from the Front is a reader-supported publication. The best way to make this work sustainable and to help improve it is with a paid subscription, but at the same time, free ones are appreciated too. I've got a link into the, in the source notes on how you can subscribe. You can do that from our website, stanrmitchell.substack.com. Again, that's stanrmitchell.substack.com, and you can subscribe to the show. That'll make sure you don't miss any. As a reminder, please be kind. Try your best to love your fellow Americans. Let's all work to unite this country. Also, try to be a better person each and every day. Try to be kinder on social media, how you interact with others with whom you disagree. And if you have a dream kicking around in the back of your mind, go after it. If you have that friend or family member that you know you should reach out to, reach out to them. Finally, and this especially goes to all my awesome military folks listening out there, if you need help, please reach out to someone. Please, call that friend or family member. Do it for us all. We've already lost too many of the greatest folks that this country has produced to suicide. And so I'm asking you to be brave once more, show some vulnerability, take a deep breath, breathe, call a friend or family member, someone who can help. Uh, with that, I appreciate each and every one of you, every tweet, every share, every email, etc. I can't tell you how much those mean to me. And I love each and every one of you all out there. So please join me again in our next episode, which will be this Friday. Stay safe until then. Thanks again, everyone. You guys are the best. As always, don't forget to check out my books. You can find all 11 of them on Amazon. I think you'll enjoy them. Highly rated. They sell pretty well. And with that, I'm out.